I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. G'day, Irrational Fear. It's Dan Illich here. Last podcast at the top of the show, I promoted the idea that Mark Humphreys, Evan Williams and I have been working on a secret project for Audible. Well, today's the day. It is released. It is on Audible. It's called Riot Act. And it's about the breaking bad of a conservative broadcaster, or largely it's about how politics and media play at extremes, at the at the left and right streams of Australian media and politics. And it's very fast, it's very funny, and it's got some incredible people in it, including Tony Martin, Gretel Colleen. Uh, there are some wonderful cameos like um, uh, Rosie Waterland, and Hugh Remington, and Sandra Sully, and Ben Fordham, and uh, Hamish MacDonald, and uh, all sorts of all sorts of little voices you will recognise. Another bloke called Rupert Dagar, who is one of the superstars of voiceovers for advertising and radio ads and and things like that. He has a myriad of voices. He plays about a thousand different voices in Riot Act and he's in it as well. And we're very, very, very fortunate to be able to make it. It's an eight-part show. It's a narrative show. It's the first kind of narrative that um, Mark Humphreys, Evan and I have written together and hopefully there'll be more. And so to celebrate, I thought I'd just quickly grab Mark uh, Evan Williams, who you but you will know both of them from Mark's work on 7.30. They're the dynamic duo behind Mark's great 7.30 sketches. Uh, we also speak with Matt Perrett, who is the lead engineer at um, Uncanny Valley, who who made um, Riot Act, and also Angela Rao, who plays Mark's offsider in the show, um, uh, or rather Campbell Parks' offsider in the show, Michelle. It's a fun, fast chat about our show. It goes for about 30 minutes, and hopefully at the end of it, you enjoyed enough to go to Audible and have a listen. It's called Riot Act and it's out today and we're super thrilled. Thanks a lot for listening. There are new Irrational Fears coming down the line, I swear. I'm off to Kuala Lumpur next week for the Amamba Foundation Leadership Conference for Asia Pacific. So, and I'll be taking my recording equipment with me, so hopefully I'll bag some big interviews. I just want to I just want to shake Michelle's hand. That's all I want. Um, so hang in for that. In the meantime... 
Here is Mark, Evan and I talking about the project we created called Ride Act. A rational fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra Fair Dickum and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Hello, Irrational Fear listeners. Uh, you know how I've been basically spamming you with lots of different audio that aren't Irrational Fear shows? Well, here's another one. Yes. Uh, but this is a good one. This is about... Oh, they're all good. Let's face it. Your, your brand, Dan, is being off-brand. Yeah. Your, your... <laughs> I'm co- constantly <laughs> undercutting myself. That is the voice of uh, TV's Mark Humphreys. Mm. Well, welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you. Great to be... Am I, am I back? Am I here for the first time? I'm not sure. Omnipresent. You seem so <laughs> sure. omnipresent this year. And of course, your writing partner and friend of the show, Ev Williams. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me. Ev Williams content is how you want to be known as in 2019, 2020? Yeah, please add Ev Williams content. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we are here today to not talk about a rational fear, but to talk about a project we've been working on for two years. Uh, it launches today on Audible. It's called Campbell Parks. No, it's not called Campbell Parks. It's called <laughs> wow. Riot Act. We don't, it took us two years to, to get the name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, show is the, the show is called Riot Act. It is out now on Audible. And um, I thought we'd just have a little chat, chat about it. Now, it's based on a character called Campbell Parks, which you two invented. And you started out on SBS with this, um, this kind of parody of Andrew Bolt, was it? Sort of a combination of, of people. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Evan on this. Do you remember that first sort of brainstorm session that we had? Yeah, I think we were actually in the domain in Sydney. Um, and I don't know, we just sort of said, why don't we do a kind of shock jock sort of character? I think we'd always avoided that sort of conservative character because Stephen Colbert did it so beautifully. But I think Australian shock jocks are just such a different kind of uh, conservative character, just a kind of like more blokey sort of thing that that you just don't have over there. So, um, and it just all came gushing out. <laughs> and th- this is on the feed. So you initially made it as sketches um, within yes. within the feed itself, and it kind of looked like he was he was on like a, a cable channel in the in the high six hundreds. You would say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, he sort of just lived within some sort of parallel universe of Australian media, um, and yeah, somehow presenting a show that was you know two and a half minutes long. Well, I mean, not that far removed from what we started out on the, the roast on ABC Two, a two minute show, and uh, yeah, so it was. But Evan would always send me, and he still does, just like screenshots of um, the podcast like subject headings of like the Ray Hadley show or the Alan Jones show. I can't think of any specific examples, but it will. It, can you think of the sorts of things, Evan, that you that have caught your eye from that? It's always something to do with the bong bong horse races. <laughs> always comes up. Or uh, it's always like a chat with some pensioner or something. It's, yeah, I can't think of the absolute best ones. My favorite most recently was... Alan Jones explaining uh, the history behind the theme song song, of Gloria Gloria. and then going into really uh, exact detail about 
the um, death of the singer of Gloria. So Laura, yes, so Laura Branigan who sings Gloria. So Gloria is our Alan Jones theme tune, and Laura Branigan, like it was, it was sort of like, you know, and of course she, I oh, can't do it as good as you, Dan. You know, and of course it was, uh, you know, uh, pulmonary, uh, you know, whatever. He did went into like unnecessary, you know, her dying days with spiritual problems. It was something like just like why are we getting all this detail about her death um, <laughs> for this, you know, the theme song singer. So things like that, just like oh, this is this is kind of unique to Australia. What fascinates you about those characters? For me, that kind of what you're just articulating is that it's clearly there is clearly too much airtime for any humans to fill with any kind totally. of meaningful detail totally. <laughs> on a day to day basis. So they've got to fill it with pretty much anything. Yeah, I think I'm interested in the performance side of things. That it sort of does feel like a performance. It's not a natural state of being to be that angry or worked up. So I. I think that's always interesting especially with Hadley and and kind of lead this is less so with Bolt but like Hadley kind of leaning into the sort of the blokiness crap that we just we just hate we just really can't stand that using you know this this bloke you know this this clown this this joker I I, I love it when they when they call people a mob this yeah, mob this and, mob and this mob happens to be yeah the Regulator for finance in Australia, like yeah. when they're referring to ASIC or something, right? Exactly. Oh, this mob. That's it. 100, 100%. This, this highly fine-tuned group of lawyers who understand laws inside and out. That's this, it. This is a rad tag mob of, of idiots. You could be a scientist, but on that show, you're a dropkick, or a, you know, a, your lot. Yeah, exactly. So that just so yeah, certain ways of phrasing things. Um, it's very exclusive language, isn't mm, it? it? Puts yeah. up boundaries between the audience audiences yeah and just um you know and just just getting worked up about things that don't matter so that you know, particularly it'll be always th- things to do with like peppa pig and so that kind of culture wars i think bullshit. a prime example of that is this week was when hamish mcdonald uh flipped the bird oh, at someone, perfect example <laughs> flipped the bird at someone at the perfect. logies someone at his desk it probably and i was at the logies and i reckon it was the, the, prob- the walkleys the, the, not the logies the walkleys <laughs> flipped the, flip the bird flipped the bird to someone at the walkies. that was on his table and i think it, it looked like he was flipping the bird to gavin morris in a funny way right. who's the head of news sure. <laughs> but, but that- at the same time why even why even talk about this like it was off it was off camera like the person didn't think he was being filmed and uh, there was a time yeah. a time where he just uh, making a joke with some friends at his own table i think we've also been interested in those people like um Oh, I won't even say his name, but the uh, but yeah, the, the 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 ones whose job it seems to be to just watch the ABC and hate it. Uh, they they sort of their whole if the ABC didn't exist, they they wouldn't exist. All their columns are just it must be torture for them to just listen to consume the ABC all day long purely for the purposes of then then shitting on it. So Campbell Parks. Give us uh, a taste of what he is like. For you, what is the heart and soul of this character, Campbell Parks? And when you were at the feed creating this this character, what was your MO in putting him together? That's a good question. Evan, does something come to mind for you immediately on that? Partly we just wanted to capture... Just the, there's a, there's an element of all those kinds of people, all those shock jocks. I have a theory that they're basically all the same. Like they they've got the same five topics, <laughs> the same performance style as well. Where it's one thing I love about it is no matter how worked up, how blokey it gets, whatever they pay attention. They always say, so you know, Hamish McDonald, he should he should throw himself in a sh- chaff bag out to sea. It's nine to five. <laughs> you know, and it's always it's always that kind of style, and 
I, th- I think it was just trying to tap into what 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 is that um yeah what is that blokey style what what is that what is that this dope this mob like what what, what is that and we were just trying to capture that unique style of Australian conservatism I remember 10 yeah. years ago when I wrote Beaconsfield the Musical I had this gr- weird conversation with Neil Mitchell so when that blew up um, I wrote a musical called Beaconsfield the Musical um, it's about the Beaconsfield mine disaster and the media exploitation of the people in that town and what would have the first phone call I got um, in six o'clock in the morning when it started to blow up was from Matt and Joe from Fox FM. And they were like, whoa, what have you done? Whoa, that's a wacky show. Whoa. Oh, well, good luck with it. Blah, 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 blah. And the next phone call was Neil Mitchell. You're the worst person in the world. Blah, 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 blah. And as I was talking, I was realizing, oh, he's actually not listening to what I'm saying. I feel like he's sorting out papers and trying to figure out what's coming up in the next quarter hour, because <laughs> no matter what I, what no matter what I would say, he would say, "Well, what about this?" And I'd say, "Neil, you just didn't listen to the last three sentences I said. I just answered that three sentences ago. You're not even listening to me." He's like, "Well, Hitler wouldn't write a musical. That's what he actually did. He wrote, he wrote yeah, oh, sorry, not Hitler. You wouldn't write a musical about Hitler." And I'm like, "Well, Mel Brooks already did, uh, and uh, it, it, no, of course you I, can." I think I got very excited there for a moment when I thought that maybe Hitler, Hitler had written, written a musical. musical. I mean, he was an artist, <laughs> so you, you, you never know. It wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been a stretch. No, I didn't know. He maybe added some lyrics to, to some Wagner or something. I don't, I don't know. But um, the uh, but I think for us also at that time we were getting our first maybe we we're getting our first taste of outsiders and all that sort of stuff where it was like really leaning into the. Um, Oh, maybe it was, maybe we were slightly before that. I can't. I can't yeah, recall, kind of like Sky After Dark. Mark, yeah, yeah. Mark Latham started Facebook streaming. Yeah, that that's, kind of that sort of stuff. That kind of stuff. Yeah, he had that. Yeah, so all that sort of fascinated us. And then some of the newer players that were popping up, some younger people that were kind of uh, again. I just don't even want to say names. Um, you know who they are. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to dignify these the, 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 these choices, but um, yeah. So it, it just seems so many of them, and yet they were all more or less the same. And it also felt like something that I think you, Dan, probably feel this way as well. It's so uh, predictable that anyone could do it. And if you know, inevitably, when our careers decline that's a very real option to just go oh okay we're just going to rag on the abc costing a billion dollars a year we can you know have something about uh, climate change and lattes and all the you know there's there's only like evan said there's only like five, five points. points exactly <laughs> and you can make a very good living off those five talking points <laughs> so yeah i think that's what sort of fascinated us is those people have just gone you know what yeah, I could I could make this work. If you're a failed comedian, that's the way to go. Yeah, as I'm, I'm well, looking at options right now. Well, Rowan <laughs> Rowan Dean is supposedly a satirist. I mean, I don't want to be getting to the. I hate the whole kind of like so-called comedian, but like you know, he, he brands himself as a satirist. And I do all. like it. I think it is his Twitter bio. It says Australia's greatest satirist, and that quote was given to him by Andrew, Andrew Bolt. Bolt. Yes. <laughs> On the on the cover of his book, <laughs> who I actually think is probably Australia's greatest satirist. Probably, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, what what makes Andrew Bolt laugh? Like, what what does he actually find funny? I don't even. Okay, it's like that sort of thing. Of like, you don't really hear Trump genuinely laugh at something. Oh, he, um, he loved that um, latest comedy release, uh, that that book, um, uh, Dark, Dark Emu. Yes, yeah, right, loved yeah. Dark Emu. No, it was of a little, uh, joke on every page. Theory, right. Uh, with that one. What a world. <laughs> I mean, that thing as well. I mean, just sort of like the choice. Like, why has he made his brand uh, going? Like, his, his brand seems to be based around like 
people identifying as indigenous who are not dark enough for, for his liking. Uh, that, that's weird. what it seems it's to be. It's a very weird choice. <laughs> it's a very weird choice. You're not white enough for my liking, Mark Humphreys. <laughs> oh, I think you'd struggle to find someone whiter. But um, yeah, so that I can't even remember what the first sketch we did or what it was based out of. But at that time, like 18C was being discussed. That was a thing, I think, one of the sketches about Racial Discrimination Act. And then, yeah, Latham kind of, I think, was thrown off Sky News and that was another topic. Then around December 2017, uh, I was living in the States and I was uh, unemployed, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, and then I thought, gee, you know what would be good? We need to create long-form comedy. <laughs> uh, one character I thought should have its own TV show was Campbell Parks. <laughs> and I thought, i got to get these boys on the line and talk to them about it. <laughs> so I called you guys up and I can't remember what we spoke about, but I was just really, I was just, you know, I was in a hyper state about, trying to create original narratives for ourselves because no one's making it. No one's making interesting stuff in Australia that we kind of were really into um, in that way. And that's when I thought, oh, Campbell Parks, it's got to be, it's got to be a series. Can you remember that phone call? My main memory is that you were enthusiastic about the character. We had wanted to do something more with it, but it kind of, I think we were very sceptical at that point. I think we'd, we'd had sort of, dead end meetings about things and just sort of gave up hope that things could be made that were longer than two and a half minutes. And so you were like, oh, I'd like to kind of pitch this around. I think Evan and I, in all honesty, were just like, good luck. (laughs) Um, Is that how you remember it? We we had actually, uh, we we made a pilot. Oh, yes. We we did make a uh, pilot with... um, a broadcaster, I won't name it, but it costs a billion dollars a year. They got to, they got to be doing something about it. <laughs> but uh, so I think that we didn't have. I, I still think that the the initial pilot we made was the most I've laughed making something, the most excited I've I've been about something. And so it, yeah, it broke my heart when it didn't get picked up. But my heart's now back together since, <laughs> because of Dan's phone call, Facetime. And so we we basically spent two years getting together uh, writing it. Uh, we got paid a very small amount of money from Audible to start writing, and I think we spent all that money in cafes. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we ate some of the best <laughs> cafes. We so spent good. our writing fee basically on lunches and dinners, uh, trying to generate ideas for this show. <laughs> and particularly, I think a big shout-out to Trio in Bondi. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> well, actually, we're at Trio. Uh, Evan, you should tell this story because I I, this, this is actually your story, but we were at Trio. And there were two gentlemen sitting next to us who, well, I, I'll leave, I'll leave, Evan, can you tell the story? I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was just. Oh, Mark went to pay. I went to go and pay for the, the meal. And no, then, because Mark's on television and had TV scratch at that point. And then, <laughs> yeah, sure. That brief period. And do you remember what happened? <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but I just remember one of these men just came up and he just said, uh, I think it was something like, "Do you think he's funny?" <laughs> or something. <laughs> and uh, I saw a segment. He's uh, he's actually wrong. Uh, he, you know, he's actually wrong about that. Talking about, about that. Talking one. about oh, your talking work. About the seven thirty and unwittingly talking to the Un- writer of the work as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a pretty terse exchange. I can't remember exactly what. I feel like I said something funny. That's the story of my life. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was the first time I've seen someone just come up and just say, 
No, no, that wasn't right. Yeah, no. and it was so, and it was so gutless as well. It was like I'm not going to say it to the guy that I've got an issue with. I'm going to take it up with his friend who he had coffee with, not realizing that the friend was yes, the, you know, the co-writer of the the thing that you're complaining about. So for two years, we this was the experience. Uh, boomers accosting Mark in cafes as, <laughs> as we were writing, um, and then we kind of. Then we got the green light to go into production and we worked with a bloke on writing um, this stuff called David K. Barnes, an an editor, Mm, uh, a script editor, wonderful wonderful script script editor editor. in London who um, really broke, helped us um, without cracking our narrative. And then we worked with a great comic writer and director, Casey Anning, who then helped us restructure it even further to refine the story even further. And that was a, a great last couple of two weeks before we ran into production. Then our scripts got approved and we started production. And I thought I'd just give Matt Perrett a call now. Matt um, is the sound engineer at Uncanny Valley who helped put the show together. Uh, let's um, give him a buzz. Oh, he's standing by. Here we go. He's just on speakerphone. He just had a baby too, so, you know, he's probably... Uh... Yeah, hello. Oh, we're just talking about you, Matt. Oh, funny about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, you're, in, you're on the podcast with Evan and Mark. G'day, Matt. How are you, mate? Hey, guys. How's everyone doing? Oh, fantastic. You coping all right with, uh, with Bubba? Well, coping is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> now, Matt, Matt, you were the main engineer on, on Right Act and you work at Uncanny Valley. What did you think when I first came in and had a meeting with you about wanting to do an eight-part series with 83 characters that span the world of radio politics and uh, yeah. intense personalities? I think straight off the bat, there was, there was clearly there was a lot of ambition in, in the project. Um, and I think as we kind of go into the document more and more in our discussion about what was required to continue on, it was becoming, yeah, quite, quite obvious that we were going to have some challenges with what we were hoping to achieve, especially in the um, short amount of time. But everything was super exciting. I mean, sort of once we started going through the scripts and talking about how we want to approach the recording and the overall sort of sound and audio world of the project, it was, yeah, it was, it was great, and I think we sort of got to a really, really nice space band as well. So it was exciting. Can you tell us, talk us a little bit about the unique way we recorded the show and your approach to recording it in a quite an quite of unorthodox sense? Yeah, I guess if we sort of look back at how you traditionally approach a a, a project such as this, you probably. You, you, you do a roundtable recording that, you know, you try and get as much of the cast in as possible. You sit them down at a desk in a large room and you fit up your lives and you get through it all and you do everything nice and clean and precise and then you sort of use those files to sort of create the world in the most pristine way possible. Whereas on one of our very first discussions, you mentioned that you want to record some things on location. It's like, let's, let's get these carvings in the car, let's get some things outside and sort of put them into that sort of real world. And then we kind of evolved even further from that, which was why don't we try recording the whole thing by an oil and in those locations, which was, in some ways, it was great. I mean, besides having to let go of the, the nature of what you do in this job and having, everything, having total control over everything. So when you, you do your edit and your mix, you you can create everything from these beautiful source recordings. We we let go of that, and in some ways that handled a lot of the mixing for us because the way it was recorded, 
the perspectives and the sort of blocking that we kind of did led to you know, the natural sort of panning and sound space was already created. The dynamics were kind of there as well because of the space between the microphones and the I think what's really fun about listening to it, because the show is set in the world of radio, you've got uh, a lot of the studio stuff that's on that's on radio sounding like pristine in, in that kind of sense that you said before. And then we've recorded binaurally in offices and outside and you have that dichotomy of what's on air, like what's public and what's private and what's kind of uh, a part of a grander narrative, what's the subtext. It all automatically, like when you open up a door and you're out of that studio, the, the narrative changes and it's kind of really, you kind of know where you are as a listener and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, 100%. And what was... What was great about that as well is how we, we tried to delve into the authenticity of recording those sections on broadcast mics and obviously in those good contained spaces. And then we have sometimes we'll be cutting between the two, as you said, with um, Michelle in the producer's booth and, and Campbell in the, in the actual sort of recording space and having that A being between that sort of broadcast mic right up in the face sort of perspective and then cutting to this binaural world where um, we're hearing Campbell now, but through sort of actual ears, and then hearing that sort of space as well. And it, what I think, one of the most surprising thing was was how well it all cut together as well as as a seamless listening experience. And it, it really did, as you said, put on this polished world of here's this great radio station that you're not great. <laughs> I was also to say that now after getting into the show, but here's this radio broadcasting world that you're on. Um, Listening to, and then you're back into what I always refer to as a fly on the wall of the uh, real world experiences, and it really cuts together nicely. Well, Matt, I think you did a really incredible job. Uh, it sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, for you, what was like the most exciting part of the record? I think what I what I took away from that whole experience was by recording such a large amount of of the scenes on island on location and treating it essentially as we would a as a as a film shoot where we, we block things out, we we found locations and we, we essentially framed it with a sort of set of ears. We for me and this is what I kept coming back to was that the performances had a beautiful flow that would not have been achieved any other way. So beyond even the beauty of sort of hearing these spaces as we do with our own ears, the performances, I think, were heightened due to how it was recorded. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Matt. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. It, um, it was a very fun, crazy, hectic tour over that sort of month, and thank goodness the baby held out till the end. You did an incredible job, Matt. It was really phenomenal just because it was hard to sort of imagine while we were doing it how it would all come together, but then just the, the, it's like a million small choices that you've made that just really lift the uh, lift the whole show. So thank you so much. It's just it was thrilling to see what you did. Absolute pleasure. It really it does have a great sonic identity, which is un- unlike anything else that you kind of worked on. It. And I think you know you guys obviously have a huge part to play with your writing and performances, and it's been it, it was an absolute pleasure, lots of fun to work on. Oh, good on you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. We'll uh, we'll see you at the after party, which I'm sure Audible's going to pay for, which we haven't <laughs> we haven't figured that out yet. But <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be there with a bottle of champagne and a champ. It might be a bring a plate affair. We'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my best plate.
<laughs> See ya. Bye, Matt. I thought one other person we should definitely put a phone call into is Anjali Rao. Anjali mm. plays uh, Campbell's producer and she kind of goes through a bit of a roller coaster ride herself in this story. It's it's really it's really a, kind of a two, maybe three-person show. Liv Hewson, um, who plays Campbell's sister, did the is kind of like the antagonist of the whole show, but she lives in LA, so we, we can't really call her. <laughs> and she's also a Hollywood star, so I, would, sure. I wouldn't worry yeah. about calling her. Yeah. She's just got three, four, four yeah. feature films yeah. coming out this yeah. year. <laughs> Sorry, could you, could you do a podcast about a podcast? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> Drew, Drew Barrymore's waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's oh, we should point out all these all these folks who in, who involved. So Liv Houston, obviously oh. Hollywood star, did it for $42.02 an hour. <laughs> um, uh, Heather Mitchell. Oh, the did great a, Heather Mitchell. Did a, did a great role for free for us. Uh, Chris Taylor. Let's not a, mention people's rates. Uh, <laughs> well, sure. Uh, sure. Chris Taylor, uh, Tony Martin's in the show. Oh, uh, Bridie heaven. Connell is in the show. Uh, so great. Ash Williams has two lines oh, in the show. Incredible, Ash Williams. I mean, Ash, that was probably the biggest thrill for me was working with Ash Williams. But, but I mean, like, Tony Martin, you know, is just the king of radio, uh, you know, and one of the great Australian, obviously, you know, originally from New Zealand, but uh, one of the great comedic voices of this of this country. And that was a that day or that afternoon uh, recording with him was an absolute career highlight. He was wonderful. He, I'm really excited for people to hear him as uh, Dave Janacek, the uh, uh, outgoing, um, uh, you know, uh, commentator that Campbell's sort of aspiring to be. Very much like the incumbent king of radio yes. for that radio station. Um, let's give Angelia a call, see if she, she's on the blower. So Angelie Rowley. Well, hello there. Hello, Angelie. You're on the you're on the podcast with Mark Humphreys and Evan and myself. Hey, Angelie, how you doing? Hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, Riot Act launches tomorrow, and we thought we'd just give yeah. you a call and uh, get your thoughts on it. Tell me, tell us when you read the scripts. What did you think? Uh, what did you think when you saw what we had in store for Riot Act? Uh, wait, are you interviewing me right now? Yeah, you're on air. <laughs> Well, not on air. What? You're on podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> like, tell me in advance, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I'm going I'm to call you uh, yeah. in about one second. <laughs> <laughs> what did I think? Well, let me see now. Uh, it was like uh, looking into a mirror of my exact life. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got asked to read for the part of a um, brown chick, journalist, British accent, uh, who came over here and it all fell on its ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know, I know. But then, you know, but if that hadn't happened, then who knows? I may never have got to read for the part of Michelle. You know, it, it's something so, It's something interesting about Australian media where, you know, when when we cast this show, we just cast as many folks as we knew. But when it came to this part, it was actually very difficult to find someone because of the way Australian media, the colour of Australian media personalities look like. Um, so your your role was actually one of the few roles that we actually had to go to a casting agent to cast. And when you delivered your 
your sample. It was like pitch perfect. And your backstory is absolutely incredible being a CNN anchor who's had 20 million, who's had 20 million people watch her a night. 20 million. <laughs> 200 million. Oh, 220 million. Sorry. (laughs) 200. All career fell on its ass. There's a people like you that say that I had 20 million. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all of us have been trying to be picked up by Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> so you had the most, like, you've had, you had, you had the most incredible, incredible career um, at CNN. And then to come to Australia, to kind of re- be kind of resettle back in Australia to kind of find, find the state of Australian media. For you, what are the similarities between Riot Act and Australian media? Uh, they're one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it works over here. Um, you know, I've, uh, it took me years to sort of, I, I'm Australian. Mum's um, from Bendigo. You don't get more Australian than that. Um, but it took me a long time to realise that diversity in Australian media means that you're a brunette. <laughs> 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 Um, but yeah it's it's really incredible because the Australian media landscape just does not reflect the demographic of the country at all and And I found that quite um, intriguing and uh, heartbreaking in equal measure how did you feel about you know you're a journalist but how did you feel about playing a comic character like in a narrative about this kind of story so this is the thing. So it actually turns out that although I've had, what, 20-plus years in you know, the top tiers of television journalism, um, I had a sort of long um, wine-soaked lunch with my agent about a year ago, and I was like, Teresa, you know, television journalism was not my dream. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, nah, it was acting. Um, my parents had always said, you know, over our dead bodies, you will be a journalist and that's all there is to it. Um, and then I sort of reached a happy medium with them um, as far as TV journalists was concerned because there's actually quite a lot of acting that you have to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, there really is. Um, and L- mostly acting interested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mostly acting interested and sometimes failing spectacularly. Um, but, yeah, so to me it was – and, of course, now my parents are – Absolutely, like, oh, darling, act. act. <laughs> um, but it was, so to me, sort of, because it had always been something that I wanted to try my hand at, um, it was an absolute dream. I loved every single second. And, you know, even hearing that I got the part was like, are you kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there was anyone more qualified in Australia, Mark. What do you think? Oh, Angela was wonderful. I mean, it was just, it was perfect because like we, we hadn't, you know, we hadn't met before we started recording. And so in the dynamic, you know, it was sort of hoping that that would work. And um, it was, you know, it was just thrilling to uh, to see how easily you, you slipped into that role. Um, oh, I loved yeah. it. It was, it's just, it was actually a real sort of honour to, to play her because, um, you know, actually to, to sort of say things in the media when you are a journalist, um, as I have found out, that if you call Australia on the fact that, you know, it's a it's a white blonde person's game, um, as you would know, Mark. Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> they, 
Hey, don't 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 knock my business model. But to say that out loud and in public, um, as I recently did at the law school, you just get completely and totally, um, you know, hauled over the coals. It's like, oh, that's sour grapes, blah, blah, blah. To actually sort of act the part of somebody who that's happened to. And there are many of us, there are, there are loads of us who are not, who are Australian, who are, you know, not Caucasian and, and not blonde and don't necessarily have Aussie accents, who kind of get popped in a different box and, you know, experience doesn't count very much at all. Um, so I love acting what I've actually experienced in real life. That's great. Thanks, Angela. Thanks for uh, uh, at the last minute jumping on this uh, behind the scenes podcast. Unwilling participant. We're not journalists, we're podcasters. It's very, very different. <laughs> so, you guys, thanks for writing the poll and the oh. show. It's an absolute ball terror. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Angela. Lots of love. See ya. Bye. See, see ya. That's really great. I think um, uh, today, uh, which is the day the, the podcast comes out, is really exciting for for me um, because I feel like it's two years of work and it's great to kind of finally put something you've crafted all this time out into the world and creating something good with, you know, good people and good friends is uh, is always a privilege. But, Dan, can you tell us about a bit about your character in this show? <laughs> Because I, I think as much as, you know, Campbell Parks is the main character, I, I am obsessed with this character. I don't know how much you can go into the backstory, but I know there's great backstory there. Uh, yeah. I'm obsessed with this character. Uh, I don't know if you noticed in the audible notes uh, with along with the press release when they said doing press, don't mention uh, about the characters being representative of anybody in particular. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I play a character called Nugget. Nugget is the uh, the station manager uh, of 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 360, the radio station where Campbell works. And it's essentially uh, I've cherry-picked the best, most grotesque bits out of every executive producer I've ever had and uh, and general manager in media and rolled them into one. Um, so Nugget Phillips. Uh, Nugget Phillips is, is kind of a rub, is kind of like loves his sport, loves the game, loves the idea of media, loves ratings, uh, <laughs> fucking hates anyone who gets in the way of him at a long lunch and uh, <laughs> basically wants to see the whole game succeed. If, he, if you succeed, he succeeds, and if he succeeds, he gets to go and have a long much and what's his catchphrase oh ball terror <laughs> now I've, now that's the only part that i've ever stolen from uh, i will i will mention his name because he won't mind brian cockerell who i used to work for in australia's funniest home videos because uh, <laughs> we speak about it a lot together because i think it's just one of the funniest things i've ever heard and when i was working at funniest home videos back in 2003 uh you know you've done a good job because it was a it was a cottage system then you had our cottage was attached to the 60 minutes cottage and if you're working down if you had a desk down at 60 minutes and you heard <laughs> ball terror from the other end of the cottage, you knew you'd done a good job. <laughs> and so, well, Brian Cockrell's a comedian and a producer in his own right. And um, and that's the only bit I've stolen from, from that character. But the rest are the rest for, for people who are familiar with Australian media may recognize the voice of other prominent media. <laughs> it's kind of an impression of other prominent media operators. Um, yeah, so that's that's my character. No, oh, it's our favorite. It's our, I think Vevan and I, it's our favorite part of the show yeah so nugget spin-off series i think is what we're looking at <laughs> yeah, next. Yeah. that's right yeah, nugget origin story 
Campbell Parks, uh, as Riot Act is a story of uh, a bloke, Campbell Parks, who basically uh, through no fault of his own ends up meeting his demise in a, in a strange way when he w- works out the secrets to success of Australian broadcasting, which is being racist. <laughs> and um, it's really thrilling to have worked with you, Mark, um, one of the best joke writers and performers in Australia, and Evan, one of the best joke writers in the world. Mm, that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> here we go. But enough about us. Uh, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this uh, this backslapping podcast. But um, I think <laughs> so. I think it's obviously. Please go out and, and give it a you know give it a crack. Uh, you know, sign up to Audible and uh, it's it's free to all Audible subscribers. Yeah, Is that yeah, how this free. works? Yeah, yeah. yeah give it five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Mention you heard it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them Dan sent you. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening and um, please try it. Um, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you didn't like it, um, uh, keep it to yourself. Yeah, or, or just um, or go. Mark Fennell's got a very good show on Audible. It's all <laughs> yeah, about chilies. Right. Yeah. Actually, Mark Fennell is in this, is in our show. And I couldn't, yeah, yeah, but I couldn't, when we were looking for someone to play the role of Mark Fennell, we looked high and low, <laughs> and we finally settled on Mark Fennell, and I'll tell you what, Mark Fennell does a very, very good Mark good Fennell. Very good Mark Fennell. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey, I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, Wisdom from the Top, I talk with CEOs and business leaders about the toughest challenges of their careers. There's lots of ways to measure success. Sometimes a company has to bet against itself. We wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view. Businesses really impact people's lives in pretty fundamental ways. On Wisdom from the Top, some of the greatest business leaders of our time share their intimate stories of leadership, innovation, and transformation. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Check out Wisdom from the Top only on Luminary. Now, back to your show. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.